Hi, and welcome to the Off the Charts Football Podcast. I'm Mark Simon. I'm joined today by our NFL draft gurus, Nathan Cooper. Hello. And R&D associate, Stephen Palachik. Hello. Matt Menacharian has the day off. He just got back from Senior Bowl. Let's do some quick Super Bowl talk. We'll have plenty more with Matt next week, and then we'll delve into something else, the Senior Bowl, and some players that we want to talk about that Nathan Cooper has seen and Stephen has seen uh, throughout the year. Gentlemen, give me your single biggest takeaway regarding the Super Bowl matchup. This is two great offenses battling each other. Solid quarterback matchup. Obviously, we have Joe Burrow. This is really his first full season due to the injury, his rookie season last year. Uh, and then we have Matthew Stafford on the other side. First season with the Rams, 12 seasons in Detroit. And as a Lions fan, I hated to see Stafford go, but I love that he's finally got a shot getting to the Super Bowl now. And then also, Lions fans know the type of, of quarterback he is. They know the type of player he is. Uh, and I'm just glad to see that he's finally getting this shot and the world's really getting to see the type of player he actually is week in and week out. For one game, is he better than Joe Burrow? For me, as a, as a again, former Lions fan, I hope so. But, you know, I think uh, Burrow's really proven himself a lot in these, uh, you know, this year and a half. He's, he's playing really well. So what you're saying is it's pretty close. Steven, what was yours? So I just wanted to highlight how these two teams were built in completely the opposite ways. So starting with the Bengals, we all know that they grabbed Burrow and Chase in the top five. They drafted Mixon, Higgins, Boyd, and Jesse Bates, all in second-round picks. Sam Hubbard, Jermaine Pratt, they were third-rounders, and then they grabbed a bunch of veteran free agents that come from what they considered winning teams to round it off. Now, on the flip side, the Rams drafted Aaron Donald back in the first round back in 2014. Cooper Cup was a third-round pick, and then their other stars, Von Miller, they traded for a second and a third. We all know the Matt Stafford trade where they shipped off Jared Goff for two firsts and a third. They signed to OBJ from a midseason free agency. And Jalen Ramsey was also two firsts and a fourth rounder for him. So they completely built their team based off of taking players away from other teams, whereas the Bengals pulled everybody right out of college. So it's kind of a both extremes showing you can build a team more than just one way. It's a matter of doing it effectively, whichever way you choose to do it. Why did the Bengals win on Sunday? And is there a reason to think that what they did in that game can carry over into the Super Bowl? I don't want to discredit the Bengals, but I do want to talk about how Patrick Mahomes was probably the worst Patrick Mahomes we've ever seen in that second half. Partially due to the Bengals, but he had two poor decisions that turned into interceptions. He only faced six pressures in the second half, and four of those turned into horrible sacks. His 19.1 independent quarterback rating was by far the lowest of the year. And really, he was just off. 76% of his passes were catchable, which is compared to 86% normal. Not only were the Bengals getting to him, but Mahomes was also just missing in his throws. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, the second half adjustments, I think, were, were the big thing. And that's a testament to the coaching staff there. You got Zach Taylor, Brian Callahan, Lou Romo on the Bengals side. I think the, the adjustments they made at halftime really hurt the Chiefs offense and Mahomes, like you said. But also, you know, Burrow came out. That offense played well. They moved the ball down the field. Defense stepped up big. You mentioned, you know, held them to only three points under 100 yards that whole second half and, and into overtime as well. Definitely played really well. And I think the Bengals are going to need to play well, on both sides of the ball, you know, to beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. Can the Bengals 
win a Super Bowl without getting pressure on Stafford at a good level? I think yes, because we did just watch the best team in the league in generating pressure play Stafford, and it didn't really affect them. So whether they get pressure or not, I don't think has a bearing on how well the Rams will perform. I think it comes down to can Joe Burrow go head-to-head with Stafford and the Rams offense. Yeah, I think the, the the secondary for the Bengals has played really well. And I think without some of that pressure getting to quarterbacks, I, I think the, the defense, honestly, it's it's been hit and miss on both sides of the uh, of the coin here with the Rams and the Bengals. And I think they've been able to play through it. Even when the, the line isn't getting to the quarterback, they're still playing well in the back end. And I think there's enough there that if they're not able to get to Stafford, they can still force some bad throws. You know, you still have all these guys, you know, Bates and Mike Hilton, all these guys on the back end who are, have been huge in making plays, you know, regardless. So I think even if they don't get the pressure, I think, you know, they still have a shot, but it, it always helps whenever you can generate a little bit of, uh, of push up front. Why did the Rams win on Sunday? And was there something in that matchup that you carry over into the Super Bowl? Yeah, obviously the first three quarters there, they didn't go as expected for the Rams. That fourth quarter, though, nearly flawless. Stafford played well. Offense drove the ball up and down the field. The defense stepped up big. That that defense, like I said, it's been hit and miss a little bit, but they all came out. The stars came out and you know they played well in that fourth quarter and made made the plays when they needed to. So I, I, again, you know, I think just like the Bengals, the Rams are going to have to play well on both sides of the ball. They're going to have to play a full three, uh, four quarters on offense and on defense to be able to win this game. Both offenses have playmakers. It's going to, you know, the defenses are going to be hit and miss a little bit, but they're going to need to to come out and, and make some plays. And I think the team that really plays the best at all phases of this game uh, is, is really going to win. I think it comes down to the defenses, really. I, I think if the defenses come out and play well for the entire game, I, I think the defense that plays better is going to win the game. I, obviously, both offenses are, are big-time offenses, but, you know, the defenses, again, we, we've seen, you know, games all year for both the Bengals and the Rams where they come out and they dominate on defense, but then a couple of games, they, they really struggle, give up a lot of big points. So I think the the defense that comes out and plays the, the most well-rounded game is going to win this game. Do the Bengals have any way to slow down Aaron Donald or prevent Jalen Ramsey from making a big impact? The Bengals offensive line is, is obviously a big question mark. And I think if the, the Rams can get pressure on Burrow, it could change this game. Obviously, the big question in the draft is, you know, they took Chase instead of an offensive lineman. That, I think, is really going to show up. You know, you have Donald, you have you know, Floyd, Miller, all these guys on the, on the defensive line. If they get to Burrow, it could really change this game. Ramsey versus Chase is must-watch television. That's pretty much your best receiver in the league versus your best corner in the league. So I think if you were going to put anybody out there to go out and beat Jalen Ramsey, Jamar Chase is towards the top of that list. And what does Jamar Chase specifically do that would give him the uh, potential advantage? He can win at all levels of the field. So Ramsey's had success in just manning up on somebody and shutting them down for as long as he's shadowing them. Now, we've seen Chase go out and win both against like a zone defense and just man-on-man when teams have tried him that way. So I don't think there's a single way to stop Chase but I also don't think there's a single way to beat Ramsey. I think it's just, we'll see. They haven't played each other before. It's new to both of them. One last question to round things out here. Just And this plays to the wide receiver cornerback matchup. How is the artificial turf at SoFi Stadium going to impact this game? Both of these teams 
play on a home field of synthetic turf. So the Bengals got a new one in 2018, and the Rams obviously are playing on the same turf that SoFi came with in 2020. The last two years, the Super Bowls were played on an outdoor grass field. The three prior were all on turf. Two of those games turned into the high-scoring affairs of the Patriots beating the Falcons and the Eagles beating the Patriots. But then on that third game, we also saw the Patriots play the Rams in that defensive slugfest. So I also want to make a note that this exact turf on SoFi is the same kind of turf that Houston and Dallas use. Now, the Bengals have not played on this model of turf since late 2020, where they visited Houston. Now, Burrow did not play in that game, and the Rams obviously are playing on their home field, but it's not as if we're getting a team that's used to playing in, say, a real grass stadium coming and playing on turf for the first time. So both teams very experienced on the turf. I'm not sure if there's a huge takeaway as to say advantage one way or another, but historically in Super Bowls, you could say the turf has led to higher scoring. Yeah, I don't see a big impact. I think there's a lot of interesting facts there for sure. But and you know, obviously the injury factor is definitely a factor when it comes to the the field turf. But to me, or honestly, the biggest thing is we're not gonna have to worry about the weather or a muddy field or anything like that. So I think we're gonna be in for a good and you know fairly good and clean game. So on last week's show, we got to talking about potential overtime rules, and Matt brought this up. I didn't invent this. I can't remember where I heard it weeks, months ago. You have a coin flip at the end of regulation to decide kind of at the beginning of the game, like, do you want to receive or defer? But instead of having that choice here, you would have the choice of either bidding on a yard line or deferring. And if you bid on a yard line, what you end up doing there is you say, all right, I say your own 10 yard line. And if if the other team can decide if they want to start with the ball on their own 10 yard line or if you want to start with the ball on your own 10 yard line. I feel like that has about as good a chance to get through those seven on seven. Oh, come on. So I guess I was wrong. The NFL's doing this goofy spot or choose system with no kickoffs in the Pro Bowl. Bottom line from this, listen to Matt. He knows what he's talking about. And he'll be back next week to talk much more Super Bowl. Let's segue to the Senior Bowl. Senior Bowl's on Saturday. We've got a couple of people there on assignment watching everything that's going on, doing some prep for our new football rookie website. And Coop wanted to talk players. He's got a list of six that he and Steven will run through. So let's start with a quarterback prospect that is drawing comparisons at the moment to Joe Burrow. Pitt's all-time leader in number of passing stats, Kenny Pickett. Coop, what should we make of him? Yeah, obviously the biggest conversation this week has been his hand size. He didn't get his hands measured, which sparked a lot of conversation down in Mobile. Apparently has some double-jointed thumbs, which makes it, you know, his traditional hand size a little bit smaller than it most likely is. He wears gloves while he's playing. And, and obviously, I don't want to harp on this too much, but he plays in, his, in Pittsburgh. It's one thing to have small hands. You're playing out west or you're playing you know, in the south where you're playing in good weather all the time. But he's played in Pittsburgh. I think he's played in, in plenty of uh, different weather conditions at Pitt. And I don't think that's much of a concern. But aside from that, you know, he's a guy who has a strong arm, can make all the throws, works the pocket, shows good mobility. And everyone knows him as the guy who had the fake slide in the ACC championship game. But he's a guy that can run a little bit, gain yards with his feet if necessary, and not really a a runner because uh, he wants to. What should we look for in terms of, or what do you look for rather, in terms of quarterback mobility? 
Yeah, for me, you know, I like to see quarterbacks who run because they they have to or because they need to and not just just because they can. And I'm talking when we're when we're talking just traditional dropbacks, not designed runs or anything like that. To me, quarterbacks, you know, they're successful when they keep their eyes down the field. They get more of a pass first type of player running if they need to. And then a lot of college quarterbacks, they get in trouble because once they leave the pocket, they pull the ball down, they pull their eyes down and they just start to run because they can. And to me, Pickett's a guy who he'll run if he has to, has the good mobility to to basically get some yards, to move the chains with his feet. But he's a guy that is going to throw it if he can and not run just because he can. Is he, a, as Matt likes to say, is he a win with? Is he a win because of? Where, where does he fall at the moment? need to dive a little bit more into it. But I, I mean, I think he's enough of a win with guy, at least as of right now, that he's a guy that can probably come in and, and definitely compete for spot at the next level a lot of the the talk right now is the quarterbacks like who's going to go number one who's who are those first round quarterbacks so you know he's definitely in that conversation looking at him statistically there's no particular stat that jumps off the page as to this is why Kenny Pickett is so good or conversely there's also no stat that's out there that's a big red flag for him so really he comes down to a top 20 quarterback in basically every metric compared to the other FBS quarterbacks. I guess I don't get excited about him, but there's a lot worse options currently in the league. So <laughs> That's damning with faint praise. <laughs> it's, it's not a ringing endorsement, but I'm also not trying to go on the he's not worth the pick. I see him more of along the lines, not necessarily play style, but to your point, like win with, like a Derek Carr type. You're not losing because you run you run him out as your quarterback, but he better hope he's in the NFC that he doesn't have to win duels against Mahomes, Herbert, Allen, those types of guys. Worth the investment if you think you have a team that can win and you're just quarterback has struggled. Coop had a second quarterback on his list, Billy Zappi from Western Kentucky, who played in an air raid offense there. How do his skills translate to the NFL? the big thing that people think about and, and like to immediately go to with these air raid quarterbacks is that they're system passers. Maybe they, they don't possess the traits that translates to the next level. They're just really good you know, in their college system, but that's not Bailey Zappi coming over from Houston Baptist played one season at the FBS level with, with uh, WKU last year. You know, he's smart, he's accurate. He's able to read the field, which, you know, whenever you talk about air raid systems, they're really designed to get the quarterback to that first read as quick as possible. But with Zappi, he's able to scan the field. He can go through his progressions and get to the open player if that first read isn't available. He's not like that half field type of player. He can, you know, read from left to right and and and, and go through his entire progressions and look for all the receivers there. You know, I think it translates well to the next level. And that's basically the type of, you know, record breaking season that he had this year. That kind of stuff I think is is gonna be a good play for somebody in the draft. Go get him in those middle rounds and really develop him. So Zappi threw for just under 6,000 yards, which is an absurd number. He threw 62 touchdowns, and they were at a 9% touchdown rate, which is, again, a very good number. This kind of speaks to the air raid offense that we talked about. But one thing to also note is that he faced the lowest percentage of pressure in the league by a (laughs) pretty big number, but then also had the highest EPA along with C.J. Stroud, where they they added just under 190 expected points. The next closest was 138. So him and Stroud, in terms of 
helping generate points were the two best quarterbacks in all of FBS last year. I think you could do you could do a lot worse when you're looking for a backup quarterback for a team to rally behind. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you bring up the fact that he didn't face a lot of pressure. And, and obviously, whenever you talk about air raid systems, it's designed to get the ball out as quick as possible. So you're you're probably not going to face a lot of it. But I, I am interested to see, you know, when he gets to the next level, once he gets a little bit of pressure on his face, you know, what's he going to do? Is he a guy that, you know, can, he can keep his base, he can extend the play a little bit and still make accurate throws? Or is he a guy that's going to wilt a little bit, you know, against pressure? So I think that's an interesting thing to bring up and look at moving forward. So one other player on the offensive side that you wanted to talk about, he'll be with Zappi on the American team. Isaiah Likely from Coastal Carolina. He's one of the top tight end prospects. Go ahead, Coop. He was actually our second team All-SIS tight end this year. Big time pass catcher the tight end position. 6'4", 240, doesn't really have the girth to be a dominant inline blocker. I'm not really going to stand up against a lot of those big-time edge rushers, but he's a guy, you, you can move him around. He's a, that move type of player where you can you know move him as a tight end, you can move him out into the slot, out wide, and he's going to make pa- uh, plays in the passing game. Um, he's a guy that can make catches short and make something happen after the play, and then he can also stretch the field vertically as well. So I know we talked about Trey McBride a few weeks ago, and he's really impressing uh, down at the Senior Bowl as well. But Isaiah Likely, I don't think is too far behind him. Uh, obviously, you know the blocking you know needs to come because he doesn't have the size. But in terms of pass catching, I think he's right up there with a lot of the other tight end prospects in this class. Who are the other couple of tight ends that we might be looking at then? McBride uh, is in there. You know, there's some other guys down in Mobile. Charlie Kolar out of Iowa State uh, is another big one who's playing well. Another big guy, Cole Turner out of Nevada. So there's a lot of a big, tall tight ends and, and a lot of really good pass catchers in this class. On the defensive side, we go back to the national team for the senior ball. My Jai Sanders of Cincinnati. He was all ACC for the second straight year. Where does his stock stand? Right now, I think if he's firmly a second round guy, you know, and I think he really has a chance to get into that that back end of the first round as well. I think he's playing really well this week so far. Incredibly productive year in 2020. And then this year, when you look at the stats, the stat production is a little bit less in 2021. But you watch the film, he's constantly showing up. Still have a couple of months left in the process. But as of right now, his film is some of the best and most fun that I've watched so far. Known as a pass rusher, and he will be probably, you know, coming out off the edge, has the speed and the repertoire to win and do that. But he also shows up in the passing game. Obviously, he needs to get stronger. He's a, a little bit thin in the, the lower body, but, you know, he has tons of length, plays with good leverage, gets the, that leverage on blockers to set the edge, win at the point of attack. And, and to me, I think he's definitely a riser so far this week. The point I want to talk about in terms of production, where we did see like the sack number decrease. He was still second in the FBS in terms of pressure rate with a 19.7% rate, which the only player that was above him was projected top five pick Kayvon Thibodeau. So in good company with that number. And he just mentioned Thibodeau. Um, Coop, have you looked at him yet? Yeah, I actually just watched him as well. And, you know, whenever you watch Thibodeau, he's a guy that, you know, the athleticism and the traits just jump off the, the screen. His film is a little bit more down probably in terms of like the production and everything as well this year compared to previous year. But just, you know, his brute strength, his his leverage, his length, everything that he does, and especially in terms of pass rushing, but he's also a guy that can play the run as well. So, you know, I, I think one of those teams in the top five are going to be really happy to have a guy like that. Channing Tyndall is another player. He won a national championship as a linebacker for Georgia this season. He's another guy that you wanted to talk about. He was all SEC second team. How do you think we should view him? 
Yeah, there's a lot of Georgia players we could be talking about here, but I wanted to focus on Tyndall. He's one of three Georgia linebackers that are headed to the draft, and he's the one that's down in Mobile this week. He's just so fun to watch. When you when you watch that Georgia defense, all three of those linebackers play all linebacker positions. They rotate in and out. They're mixing and matching, and they do just about everything. He's so active. He plays all over the field, flies downhill quickly, can stuff the run near the line of scrimmage, and then he also has the athleticism and awareness to be effective in coverage. And he has the speed and pass rush ability to get to the quarterback. So he can do everything on the defensive side. He's probably not going to be the first Georgia linebacker drafted. That's probably going to be N'Kobe Dean. But in terms of, of Tyndall being the only guy down at the Senior Bowl this week, he's fun to watch. And, and I don't expect his, his name to be called very late. You mentioned N'Kobe Dean. Comparing Tyndall to Dean, they pretty much had this exact same production. Although Tyndall only played 73% of snaps that Dean did. In terms of run defense, they had pretty much an identical pressure rate. The only difference is Dean's effectiveness in coverage, where he offered a lower EPA per attempt and generated less points against than that of Tyndall. But we're all talking about Dean as this first round pick. You just said he's expected to be the first one off the board. How much does that difference in coverage ability hurt his draft stock. I don't think it does much. I, you know, again, I still think he's, he's good enough in coverage that he's that guy that he can do all three phases. And, you know, he's again, probably not a first round guy, but I don't see him getting beyond day two. So it's not like he's fallen too far down the board. And honestly, he's a guy that, you know, he just, teams are going to want that sort of speed at the linebacker position. He flies around. He has the speed to do just about anything and everything. And, and I don't see, you know, him, having an issue getting to the, you know, getting in there and basically being a contributor at the next level. Lastly, a player from our all SIS team, Jalen Petrie, safety from Baylor. You liked him enough to honor him on that team, but how does his game translate to the next level? Yeah. When you talk about safeties in today's NFL, you want guys that are versatile. You want guys that can cover. And that's exactly what Petrie brings. Played a large percentage of percentage of his snaps in the slot this year but also played 30 or more snaps at safety, off-ball linebacker, and on the edge. So he played just about anywhere. He's one of those you know, chess pieces that you can kind of move around. A guy that can cover slot receivers. He can cover backs out of the backfield. One of the most impressive things is even at 5'11", 196 is what he came in at. He flies off the edge. He can rush the passer and stuff the runs in the backfield as well. So he's another player, fun to watch, versatile. And I think he's a guy you can really move around at the next level. And when you're talking about you know, guys, you know, sometimes when we talk about these versatility type of players, you're talking about like, yeah, he's versatile. He'll bring depth to the defense. You know, he's a guy that you want that can give you a little bit of depth as a backup. This isn't that type of guy. You know, Petrie's a top 50 player easy in this class, and he's going to make an immediate impact for a team next year. What do you watch when you're watching the senior ball? A lot of the stuff that you want to watch, you know, obviously you're getting body types that maybe you're not able to get during the season. You're, you're watching a lot of practice films, so you're watching drills, What you know, looking at, at mobility and fluidity, flexibility, stuff like that. A lot of, of stock goes into the one-on-ones, uh, especially if you're offensive line versus D-line or, or those uh, receivers versus DBs, and just kind of how well you can, you can bring yourself out there, how well you are from day one to day two, from day two to day three. Are you improving? Because a lot of these guys... You know, you're playing with guys you haven't played with before and you're in a system and you're trying to learn a system that you haven't learned before. So a lot of the stuff is just uh, looking for improvement from basically day one through the end of the week. So, Leslie, was there anything that either of you two wanted to, to add? 
I just wanted to bring up, you know, obviously we can't talk about everybody. There's a lot of guys down there at the Senior Bowl right now, but there are some really good players beyond just these six down in Mobile right now who have really stood out so far this week in practice. I just wanted to highlight a couple of those guys. Offensive lineman Trevor Penning out of Northern Iowa and Zion Johnson from Boston College. Both guys have looked really good so far. And then a couple of defensive tackles. Devontae Wyatt from Georgia, one of those Georgia guys. Perry and Winfrey from Oklahoma. Big, strong guys, quick off the ball as well. Florida State edge, Jermaine Johnson has looked really good. Rushing the passer, strong, quick, good speed. And then Cincinnati wide receiver Alec Pierce looked really good getting off the line, catching the ball and things from the receiver position. So just another couple six, uh, you know, another six guys there who have impressed so far uh, and guys that we'll probably be talking about between now and draft time. To talk further on Coop's point, a lot of what the coaches are looking for, where we obviously get the Jets and the Lions this week, a lot of them do look for the intangibles this week. So those two teams kind of get a one up and they can talk to the players. They can see how they compose themselves in meetings on the field, what they do after practice. And they're looking for coachability. So we've seen it multiple times where guys fly up the draft board just for that specific team that's coaching solely because of how enthusiastic they were there and how much better they got over those three days. So we might see a senior bowl standout pop up as a day two, day three pick for the Jets or Lions this year, solely because their coaches are there hands on getting to experience these kids. Timing is everything in all walks of life, including the NFL draft. Make a good first impression wherever you go. This wraps up this week's episode. We're back with a full-scale Super Bowl preview next week. For Nathan Cooper and Stephen Palachik and our producer, Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. Thank you for listening to the Off the Charts Football Podcast. Mm-hmm.